finance already tends to be pretty homogenous. It's overwhelmingly men and overwhelmingly white folks. With time constraints and homogenous networks, it can be really hard for conference organizers and journalists to find new to them voices. And so we wanted to solve for that. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Sonia Dreisler, co-founder of Choir, a diversity tech platform. Sonia Dreisler is the co-founder of financial services diversity tech platform Choir, as well as a speaker and author focused on fostering candid conversations about gender and race in financial services and amplifying the voices of women and people of color in finance. Sonia is a sought-after speaker for national financial services conferences, writes for Morningstar, and is the author of the acclaimed Do Better series about sexual harassment, assault, and discrimination in financial services. She is a former financial services CEO with two decades of industry experience and is a respected leader, practical thinker, and consensus builder with excellent communication skills. Sonia previously spent 13 years at Protected Investors of America, a boutique broker-dealer and SEC-registered investment advisor. She started at the firm as an executive assistant and took on increasing roles in the firm, eventually rising to COO and then CEO. Sonia is a recipient of the Investment News 40 Under 40 Award, a LinkedIn Top Voices recipient, is on the Refinitive Social 100 list for 2020, and was in Financial Planning's 20 People to Watch for 2020. She is a member of the Racial Justice Investment Coalition and sits on advisory boards for several industry events, initiatives, and companies. Sonia speaks frequently at conferences and has published articles and been quoted in numerous trade publications. Sonia is on the board of Foodwise, a nonprofit dedicated to growing thriving communities through the power and joy of local food. Listen in for some great takeaways about the impact Sonia and Choir are making on the financial services profession. Well, I have the pleasure today of being with Sonia Dreisler, the co-founder of Choir, a diversity tech platform, which we're going to learn about today. And we're going to talk about Sonia and what Choir is up to. But before we do, welcome to the show, Sonia. Thank you. I am pleased to be here. 
Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. So I want our listeners to understand who you are, what led you up to the point of co-founding Choir. So before we get into the Choir information or part of the show, if you will, can you give our listeners a little bit of background about who Sonia Dreisler is and what brought you to the point of co-founding Choir? I've spent about 20 years in financial services, which I'll try to wrap into just a few minutes here. But outside of work, I'm also a daughter, a mom, a wife. I love to garden. I lift weights a lot and love to eat and cook and be in community with people. So that's the personal side. And on the business side, I've spent about 20 years in financial services. My first job was as an executive assistant to the CEO of a broker dealer. And at the time, I really was not interested in financial services. I just needed a job. And it was not a very good economy in San Francisco. It was right after the dot-com bust. And so I was looking for anything that wasn't my job that was giving me nightmares. And so I took this job as an executive assistant to the CEO and did not intend to stay, but I ended up sticking around and she gave me a variety of different tasks. It ended up not being really an executive assistant role, but a do anything that we don't have people to do role, right. <laughs> which is a really good way to learn things. So I kind of got thrown in the deep end in a variety of different areas in finance and management, just helping in different areas and was, turns out, pretty good at it. She kept giving me more and more responsibility and encouraging me to get my Series 7 and then my 24. And so I ended up being there for quite a long time. Lots of promotions. I ended up as the chief operating officer for about five years. And then when the CEO left for another job, I threw my hat in the ring during the board's executive search and ended up becoming CEO and sitting at the other side of the desk than where I had been interviewed so many years before. And so it's really a very cool story, especially when I tell it in one minute. It's much, it's much less linear if you take the long version. It was about 13 years between those two roles and a lot of things happened. I tried out different jobs. I interviewed at other places. I went and got my CFP designation, tried having clients and I didn't really like it. Really glad there's folks like you that enjoy working with clients. I found I really enjoyed working with financial professionals more. That was a better fit for me. So did a lot of things, but that's the short version. We sold that firm in 2016. And after that, I started consulting on mostly ESG and sustainable investing. And also was doing some speaking and writing and found in my speaking and writing that once I was not tied to a broker dealer that had a lot of basically compliance that just had us be kind of quiet about anything outside of very specific issues. That was just kind of the, just the MO of the firm. And so once I found I could talk about things from my, that I was passionate about personally, I started to speak and write about gender justice and racial justice issues I was passionate about outside of work and combined that with finance. So really looking at having candid conversations about race and gender in finance because I didn't see them happening anywhere. And so I started doing that and that led very naturally 
to co-founding Choir with my business partner, Liv. And so Choir is almost like the business extension and helps me get to scale the impact I was having as one person with the variety of services and platforms that we have bringing a wider variety of voices to stage. Choir's goal is to amplify the voices of people of color, women, and non-binary professionals on conference stages and in the media. It's great work. I love it. Yeah. So let's talk about choir for a second. So how are you doing that? Obviously, choir is to amplify these voices that you just mentioned, right? What is the goal and what's the methodology and how is that being done through choir? So we have two main ways that we do that. We work directly with conferences to help them bring more representation to the stage We have a diversity certification that conferences can earn that's based on how well they showcase the voices of people of color, women, and non-binary folks. We don't just look at who is speaking, but also how visible each speaking spot is, because we know that for a keynote, for example, that has every attendee in their seats and a lot of visibility, which is a much higher visibility role than, say, speaking on a panel And there's four other panels happening at the same time. Both are good roles, but they have different visibility. So we look at eight different visibility factors and come out with a score from one to 100 that shows how well conference highlights those voices. And conferences that score high enough can get certified. For conferences that want help getting more representation on stage, we also offer services package and with tools and resources and consulting to help overcome some of the common obstacles that we see there. That's how we help directly on the conference side. And then we also have a platform called Voices where those same underrepresented folks, so people of color, women, and non-binary professionals can create profiles that showcase their subject matter expertise on the platform. And both journalists and conference organizers can search by topic or they can search even by designation. They can look, for example, for a CFP that can speak about 401ks and is interested in speaking spots, including being on a panel. For example, you can get very granular because we ask a lot of questions in our intake form. And then the journalist or conference organizer, when they do their search, everybody who they're connected with and whose profiles are able to look at all people from underrepresented backgrounds. So really trying to essentially give access to a diverse network quickly and easily to journalists and conference organizers, because in the United States, people's networks tend to be very homogenous based on race and finance already tends to be pretty homogenous. It's overwhelmingly men and overwhelmingly white folks with time constraints and homogenous networks, it can be really hard for conference organizers and journalists to find new to them voices. And so we wanted to solve for that. And it's going great, actually. We've got lots of folks on there and journalists and conference organizers searching the platform. It's wonderful. Amazing. Yeah, I know that you had reached out to Jarrell not too long ago and teamed him or matched him up with a uh, reporter for an article. And I know it was eventually published and turned out very well. I believe it was along the lines of athletes and and finance. So thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. We definitely saw the benefits of having him as part of that platform. And it's amazing. His quotes in the article were great, too. We don't 
personally do the matching, the platform does all of it. And so we didn't know until the article came out. It's always so great to hear when they come out and that that was a good match. Great. So if that match happens again, we'll let you know before the article comes out. So you're, <laughs> you're aware, we'll shoot you a message. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about is I heard a crazy story that you had shared from your early time in the workforce, something about your photo being taken and used by other professionals since you, quote unquote, looked to the part. First of all, what did that mean? And what enabled you to grow from that and learn and become your authentic self and break out of the corporate mold that you talked about and what was quote unquote expected of you? Well, the picture, and I'm happy to send it to you to link in your show notes for people who want to know what I'm talking about, but it just looks like almost like a stock image. It's a white background and I have a perfectly bobbed hair, blonde haircut and I think like a navy professional top and pearls and red lipstick and just looks very corporate, very professional. It's a great headshot. And the photo is from when I was the CEO of the broker dealer. And when I look at it now, it looks so different from how how I am now and really how I was then outside of work. And I think that's probably the answer to your question is that when I was in that role, I really felt like I had my professional self and my personal self, and I really had to keep them siloed, which was, I don't think I realized at the time how challenging it was until I didn't have to do that anymore. <laughs> and then, it burns a lot of energy doing that, oh like my, emotional energy, right? Yeah, yeah. And to like not really be able to like freely express yourself on the personal side when you're at work, but also because of all of the BD compliance restrictions, I also couldn't really talk very much about work outside of work, at least not in writing, which is my preferred or has been in the past, my preferred form of communication because everything has to go through compliance. So I really couldn't talk. I couldn't write much about work outside of work or bring much of my personal self to work. Once I didn't have that anymore, being able to put together the two things that were personally important to me and really make up a lot of my values and be able to combine that with my professional experience, my platform. I feel like that combination has been what's given me my unique voice. And then the way I look, which I feel like is less important, but is very well illustrated by this picture issue. I'm able to express myself through visually, however I want now, where before I really felt like I had to look a certain way, partly a large part because I'm a woman and because I was pretty young. I was 34, I think, when I became CEO. And I it's pretty young in finance and in the BD world period. But to be the CEO, I was often surrounded by people much older than me. And so I felt that I really needed to look the part I wore suits most days and or like very tailored dresses and corporate yeah yeah very corporate yeah have you ever heard, and I've told this story before or shared this experience, but Gino Wickman, who writes about the entrepreneur operating system and traction, he talks about when he went to a birthday party at one point, and I don't remember if it was like his 40th or around about there, his wife had thrown him a surprise party, and he walked into the room, 
And as he walked into the room, he was so overwhelmed, not because it was his birthday and all these people were there, but he looked around and there were different clusters of people from all facets of his life. And he had a group from high school, a group from college, a group from his company, an entrepreneur group he's part of. And he started thinking about it and he's like, I act so differently in each of those like subsets. And he's like, man, this is draining to kind of be a chameleon and work in those different areas and kind of tailor things. And he vowed at that point in time that he wasn't going to do it. He was going to be who he was no matter what with all those groups. If you liked it, great. If you didn't like it, that's fine too. This is his words, not mine. He said, I'm just going to let my freak flag fly (laughs) and whatever it is, it is. And I think That's a similar story or similar analogy to what you're speaking of today. And the friend thing too. I didn't really have very many friends at work. I mean, I had my coworkers who were really nice and we'd go to dinner occasionally, but there just, there weren't very many young women that I knew. And I also felt like I couldn't be myself. I couldn't afford to bring my whole self to work because I already had so many things going against me being young and being a woman and not having a finance background. So there were just two people who knew me well enough, also younger women in the field. One I'm still very good friends with and one I would be good friends with, but she passed away about 10 years ago, unfortunately. It's okay. I feel like sometimes the work that I do I'm sure you understand this feeling I know in different circumstances, but sometimes I feel like some of the work I do I'm caring for Crystal. There you go. That's fine. Listen, if it motivates you and it brings good work, that's all good, right? So let's talk about your Do Better series, right? Do Better series. How did that come to be? Maybe give our listeners a little bit of a just a backstory as far as what it's about, and then how did that come to be? So the Do Better series is a series of 10 articles that I published in the end of 2019, and they detail real stories from real women in finance about gender-based harassment, discrimination, and even assault. How it came to be, and then what it came to be, is based on the idea that when I get together with other women in finance, one of the first things that happens often, not always, but often is people start to share their stories of discrimination or of harassment, letting you know, like, be careful around that guy or don't go to this conference or my experience at this company was X. That is very common to share among women, but we don't share those stories publicly. And we don't for good reason. It's often not safe for us to do this. So not safe for our careers, sometimes not safe physically for us to do it. And so what happens is that there's this whisper network among women. And a lot of us know these stories and some of us don't. And a lot of men don't know what's happening if they are not harassing folks themselves, or if they have not witnessed it, or they maybe have witnessed it once or twice and thought it was just like, meh, like a one-time thing, or they may have seen it and not even realized what was happening because they're not attuned to the nuances there. And so what I found was that men, really well-intentioned men who wanted to help and wanted to know why there was so much gender inequity in finance, didn't know why and didn't know what they could do to help. And so I thought, okay, how can I talk about this issue that there's all these 
stories and we can't tell them because it's dangerous for us. So I thought I'm going to write an article about that. And I'm going to include a couple of my own stories in there that I haven't told before. But I don't want this article to be about me. I want it to be about the broader issue. So I put a call out on social media. And this is when I did not have a big social media following like I do now. And I asked if anybody had a story that they would like for me to share anonymously on their behalf in this article. And I figured I might get one or two stories. And I got 40 stories in 24 hours. They came by email. They came by DM. Some women asked if they could call me because they were too scared to put it in writing. I had all these stories. And then all of a sudden, I had more than an article. I didn't know what to do with it, but I knew I needed to get the stories out somehow. And so after reading all of them, I put them into categories and found that there were sort of six themes. And so each of those themes is an article in the series doesn't just have the stories, but it shares what the broader issue is. And then at the end of each installment, there's ways to help either at the institutional level, like fixing the systems inside of companies, or at the individual level, what individual allies can do. Well, that's great. And I guess the good news and bad news is the good news is something positive have come out of it. The bad news is that there were 40 plus stories that were included there. And one of the things that I remember pretty vividly is back in 2020, I watched you on a panel at TD Link with a number of other people telling some of these stories, which horrified me. I was either one of those people that either didn't see it or didn't experience it, or I just wasn't attuned to looking for it because the things that were being told I knew were true, but at the same time, I had never seen before. I will tell you since that time, unfortunately, I have seen some things that probably weren't in line with what I would have liked to see, But and I've said something. But I think also that workshop might have made me more attuned to be watching out for those things. Yeah, it makes you more attuned. And also, if you start to talk about it, people know that you are a safe person to share with, or they may not know, but they may, it's not an instant one-to-one, but they'll know that you're more aware and thoughtful and it's okay to talk to you about these kind of things. Is that ultimately the goal of having these conversations is to make people more comfortable to have them? I mean, is that really ultimately the goal of you being on a panel at a workshop like TD Link, which was the last one ever? Is that really the goal of you being there is to kind of open up the conversation and, and have people have those more often? Yeah, it's definitely awareness. It's also giving people the tools to step in when they see something happening and asking people to figure out where they sit. What can they do given there? I know people mostly are not used to looking at where they sit in a company or in the field as a power issue. But if you can do a little bit of a power assessment, like what levers can I pull Like, who do I know? What systems can I influence? And even if it's just stepping in on an individual level, like you said, you did, you've seen things and you've spoken up and said something. That's the reason I started speaking about this and also putting out the Do Better series was for that reason. One of the really great reasons that I didn't anticipate was women reading these stories, whether or not their own stories are in it and feeling seen and heard and not alone. 
And that's maybe even a more powerful outcome than is both. It's great to have created. That's a great outcome. Yeah, to have created allies and also have created a place where women can see that not only are they not alone, it's not their fault that they are underpaid or that they're being harassed at conferences or whatever it is. I can't even tell you how many women have told me. I read those and I saw my own story, even if it wasn't her story, it was a story like hers and just cried because I just thought it was just me this whole time. And then of course, after publishing that, I have heard so many more of these stories. Unfortunately. So one of the things you said earlier is you actually use the word ally, right? And we hear that word a lot these days. What do you feel that others can do to be an ally? I think there's two main ways. And let me step back before I get into ways to be an ally. I'm not just talking about how men can be allies to women, but how even older, more established folks can be allies to people coming into the profession, how women can People can be allies to other people. Anybody can be allies. And then white folks especially have an obligation to step up and speak out about race and racial justice issues too. So this is not just about men and women, but about all the various intersections of identity. When I think about allyship, I really think of it in two main areas. In business, you're either transferring the trust that people have in you and transferring that to another person, the person you're mentoring or being an ally to, and transferring your insider knowledge. And then there's also a third one is like a bystander type ally that steps in and breaks up a bad thing when it's happening. We can talk about any of those three or all of them. What do you prefer? I think that that's good. So just to recap, the three, because I think I might have missed number two, but the first one is transferring being trust. a mentor, transferring the trust. Like making introductions. Yeah. People have a lot Supporting of Supporting the person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And if people trust you and you can say, hey, this person in my office is really great. You should meet them too. You're transferring that trust that people have in you onto this other person. And there's lots of ways to transfer that trust. Second one is transferring your inside knowledge. Like, for example, saying when you go to this conference, Make sure that you meet this person. Go to this session, sit in the first row, take notes and wait until afterwards and meet this person. It will be beneficial to your career. Or one thing that men allies can do is share your salary with women who are in the same role to make sure that they are also earning the same salary. Often they are not. And even if it's not exactly the same role, for example, when I started out as a speaker, I had somebody, a friend who said, hey, I'm going to share what I make and what I know that other white men make speaking. You should charge that (laughs) once you're a little bit more established. This is when I first started. He He said, so, you know, once you've got a few more sessions under your belt, you should start focusing on charging higher. And he told me, he said, you're really not charging enough for the value that you bring. And so he really helped coach me to be able to get my value. Yeah, so that's just one thing. So 
And then the third thing is to be, I think what you're referring to is being an upstander. So if you see something going on, not just saying something, but perhaps stepping in and making sure that whoever is being treated misappropriately, that you're stepping in and making sure that they're either okay with what's going on or give them the availability to make sure that it doesn't go any further and they're uncomfortable with it and I guess putting a stop to whatever's happening in that moment, right? Yep. Even if the person is not in the room, if you're in a room where there's a bunch of people making racist jokes, it's a bunch of white people making racist jokes, that's when you step in and say, hey, that's not funny. We don't talk about people like that here. Yeah, I think that's good points. And then, of course, in person, too. Like If you see harassment going on, let me give a very personal example here, because I think this kind of thing works best when you can visualize what's happening. So when I was an executive, when I was a CEO, I was at a like an executive forum, a conference of all executives. And I only say that part to illustrate that this happens at every single level of the business, not just for younger folks. I was there. I was at a networking event in the conference hotel afterward, like after dinner or something. I don't know. But a bunch of people from the conference were there. There was a bar. And so somebody went to get drinks. And it was me and I don't know, maybe five men, because not a lot of women at these broker dealer executive events. So the person came back with the drinks and joked about putting roofies in my drink. And roofies, for listeners that may not know, is what's referred to as the date rape drug. Nobody said anything. They all just kind of laughed. And I was just kind of stunned. I couldn't leave immediately after that because I didn't want to be listed as the over-emotional whatever person. A few minutes later, I did leave and honestly felt sort of uncomfortable. Had to make sure there's nobody following me, make sure there's nobody in the elevator with me. Nobody knew where my room was. And the next day, somebody came up to me, one of the people in the group, he came up to me and apologized and said, hey, that was not cool what that guy said to you. Really sorry about that. I'm like, well, thanks. And that's one step. But he didn't say anything in the moment. And he didn't say anything to the guy. That's where being an upstander really should have come out and somebody said something should have in that said, moment. Yeah. yeah, somebody should have said, hey, knock it off. That's not funny. Or the phrase that I like to arm people with is, we don't do that here. Right. Yeah. I think that's a great phrase and something that we could all take away and use. And sorry that you had that experience, but hopefully you now sharing that story will allow others to be an upstander and step in if and when they see stuff like that happening, because I know I will. Yeah. And I told that person's boss what happened, actually, because I would want to know if somebody from my company was doing that, I would want to know. So I called the president of that company and told him. And he said, oh, yeah, there's a little bit of a frat guy mentality around here. That was it. Not sorry. Not we're going to talk to him about it. Nothing. Just keeps pushing the problem down the road, kind of, or allowing it to happen. So one of the things, obviously, being in your role where you've been for a while now, how have you seen the profession, financial services profession, how have you seen it evolve over the last five years or so? And what do you see for the future in terms of your vision of that? In that regard, in the sort of harassment area, I do think that things are quickly evolving. Of course, the Me Too movement helped. There's been 
some legislative changes that have helped. And I do think men are more receptive to hearing these stories and believing them. And women are, even since 2019, since I did the series, I've seen anecdotally speaking, way more women willing to tell their stories publicly, which was something that was very scary for a lot of folks, even just a few years ago. So that feels really promising. There's still, of course, a long way to go, but I do see light on the horizon there. And then with choir, amplifying the voices of underrepresented groups, it gives me so much hope because people want to do that. They just want to know how. They don't always have the tools to get there. And so the conferences that we work with and anybody searching voices, they're out there searching for new to them voices who are from underrepresented groups. And so that gives me a lot of hope and good stuff to look forward to. That's great. So let's move from hope to joy for a moment. This is the Midland Money Mindset, and we're all about joy. We ask each of our guests the same last question, which is, Sonia, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? Well, today, one of the things I've been trying to do is to not look at my phone first thing in the morning, which is hard, right? So I usually try to just leave my phone in another room before I go to bed. That's a good way to do that. But right now our whole house is under construction. So it's in my room, but I set it aside after the alarm went off. I set it aside and I went outside and I worked in the garden. I love my garden. And this morning I got to cut a bouquet to send to school with one of my kids to give to their teacher. And I planted some tomato starts and squash and said hi to my neighbor. I take care of her garden for her too. We talked about flowers and gardens and ah, seeing things grow and getting my hands in the dirt is grounding and joyful. I love it. And what I love about your story and what brought you joy today is not only did it bring you joy, but it brought others joy because you helped other people with their garden and you cut flowers, which got passed along to somebody else. So you even spread the joy, which is something we absolutely love and adore here. So thank you for doing that. Ah, uh, yeah, my pleasure. So listen, we're going to have all of your information in the show notes, but if people want to learn more about choir, want to connect with you, maybe having a conference, want to learn more about how choir could help them, or they're just interested in being an upstander, right? What's the easiest and the best place for them to learn more? Everything choir can be found at hellochoir.com. That's for conferences, for the voices platform, all of it's there. You can also find us on Twitter at Hello Choir and on LinkedIn under our business name, which is just choir. And for me, you can find me everywhere at Sonia Dreisler, which is a little hard to spell. So I'm going to spell it out because that's my LinkedIn and Twitter handle and my web address where you can find all of my writing the Do Better series and everything we've talked about today. And so that's Sonia, which is S-O-N-Y-A, Dreisler, which is D-R-E-I-Z, like zebra, L-E-R. Awesome. Thank you for sharing, Sonia. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. I hope to see you, connect with you soon in person, and make it a great day. Oh, thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here and chat with you. I want to thank Sonia Dreisler for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. 
Sonia and Choir are leading the charge in fostering candid conversations about gender and race in financial services. They are actively amplifying the voices of women and people of color in finance and having a huge impact. It is going to be great to see how our efforts impact the profession for generations to come. Sonia Dreisler and Choir can be found across most social media platforms. All the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.